All right, we are continuing in the book of Daniel. Daniel's been, man, it's been good, huh? Daniel has been good. You ever think about an Old Testament book, sometimes you just look at it as history. Um, but I, man, is Daniel a now kind of word for us as a people? I think it is. And, you know, just to revisit that idea of a people who are set apart for God, a people who have the values of, of, of the, the one God, and a people who are called by God and are distinct among all other peoples of the earth. We see that with Daniel, his friends, and all of Israel. But yet they're living in an exiled state in Babylon. And they're living in the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has gone to Israel. He sacked Israel, to use a British word, right? He has, he has pulled people, the best and the finest people from Israel, and he's brought them into his courts and tried to convert their minds and their way of thinking. And so Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we know them, are exiles. They're living in what would feel so foreign. And why I say I think this is so now for us, because we as Christians feel this in the world right now. If we've ever been in church for a while, we've, we've heard sermons, or we've heard pastors, or we've heard leaders, or even with each other, this idea, theoretically, that we are in the world, but not of the world, right? That this is not our home, that heaven is our actual home. And I think for a long time, that understanding has been more just kind of uh, theoretic or just, yeah, I understand that as a truth. But now we're starting to feel the implications of the reality of being a people who aren't of this world, who are in the world but not of it, who have a different destination, which is heaven. And it, our allegiances feel like they're being obviously contrasted with the way of this world. And you've heard me say over and over again, the things that are bad, this world declares them as good. And the things that we know that are good, this world declares them as bad. And so the temptation is for us to just get all flustered, is to get, to get angsty, uh, to get sad or depressed or frustrated and to react in all certain ways. But God in his grace and his kindness gives us the book of Daniel. To see that a people in exile who have the same values that you and I do of placing God first, that they could still flourish, they could still serve God, they don't have to fear, they don't have to have anxiety, they don't have to be frustrated, that they can keep their eyes on God in the midst of being in exile because their allegiance wasn't to terra firma. Their allegiance was to God. And what he had called them to. And so as we unpackage chapter 4 this morning, um, my, my encouragement is let's put those lenses back on today, okay? Remember what I said last week is what we're going to do every week as we go through the book of Daniel is we're going to ask the question, who is God? Who is God? Who is God? And because that is the most important question that anyone on the planet could or can ever ask. Because how you answer that question determines how you live in life, isn't it? If you believe that there is no God, then what's the point? Then we can all do our own thing. We should all just have our own sense of morality 
or we question where morality comes from, and then we try to create like social constructs. Well, that's where we get morality, and so it's based on the culture, and the culture will determine morality, and then we can make all these good or bad decisions based on that. Or maybe your, your understanding of God, if you're a Christian, you say, no, I'm, I believe in God, but he's, he's kind of far and distant, and he requires of me to always be morally good for me to be able to have a relationship with him. And so your idea of God is this religious understanding. It's on, based on, if I do this, then God will do that. And it will affect the way you live your life. You're always living in fear. You're always living in this low-grade sense of guilt all the time. Or maybe your sense of God is that he just really doesn't care about morality. He's kind of like this big, giant Santa Claus up in the sky that you throw up a prayer every once in a while, and he's, ho, 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 looking down on you and like, all right, I'll bless you. And you're like, thanks, big guy. And you kind of live your life in a way that is, you know, kind of he's there and I'm here and we don't clash, you know, and so we try to do our best to get along with one another. And See, it's important how we view and understand who God is. And that's why in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it says, those who know their God will stand firm and what? And take action. Well done, guys. So we're going to unpackage today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 4, and if you don't, we have Bibles scattered around our auditorium this morning. Is that Jared Kang back there? Jared Kang, will you please stand this morning? If you don't, if you don't know why we're clapping, is um, Jared was formerly dating Natalie Canales, but now Natalie Canales is Natalie Kang, and so I just want to congratulate Jared on his new wedding. All right. Good to see you, buddy. You're already messing up. Where's your wife, bro? She's serving in kids. That's the way you do it. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Well done. I'll pay you five bucks after the sermon. Daniel chapter four. This is what the word of the Lord says. We're just going to read here the first three verses to help us launch into the rest of this story. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. What's happening here? This is quite a departure from what we saw before. Verse 3. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. To generation. This is King Nebuchadnezzar saying and declaring these things about not his Babylonian gods with a small g, plural. He is declaring the greatness of the big capital G God, the one true God, the, the Jehovah, the one that you and I worship, the same God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What in the world has happened here? Because chapter 3, we saw quite a different story, didn't we? And this King Nebuchadnezzar has been giving Israel problems. He's been threatening to take their lives. He has all these dreams over and over about, you know, just his angst about his kingdom being taken away from him. And all of a sudden we see chapter 4, it seems like you definitely turn the page and all of a sudden now Nebuchadnezzar is giving glory to God. What in the world had just happened? I love Daniel chapter 4 because it kind of gets us on our toes. It kind of makes us say, well, what's happening here? What, why all of a sudden would 
a Babylonian pagan worshiping king being giving the narrative of the Hebrew word of God. What in the world is taking place here? And I think what is so helpful for us this morning is as we unpackage Daniel chapter 4 and we ask the question, who is God? It comes from a source that we wouldn't expect. It comes from somebody just like you and me. Remember how I've been saying every week, you know, we read Daniel and we think we're Daniel, right? We read this and we go, oh yeah, I'm just like Daniel. You know, God's trying to tell me to be, dare to be a Daniel. And actually the reality is what the word of God is doing is showing us actually we're more like Nebuchadnezzar, right? We're more like we have this, we have sin in our heart and we have imperfections and, and God in his grace through his word is showing us these things so that we can be refined and so that we can be sanctified and, and walk more like Jesus and closer to Jesus. And now we get to see Nebuchadnezzar, a guy just like you and me, give glory to God. Well, what's going on here though? See, I love this because in the first few chapters, it's, it's giving us a foretaste, a foreshadowing, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to tell us the story of how he became, how he was transformed from a pagan worshiping king into a king now who worships the one and true God. And he starts it off by saying how God is great, how, how great he is, how, how majestic are his deeds, how mighty he is, right? So if I were to ask you a question this morning, what, if, if you were to tell about God's greatness, if I were to say, Natalie, tell me about God's greatness. If I were to say, Alexa, tell me about how God is, it's all right, it's going to be okay. If, if <laughs> it's going to tell you about how, how, how amazing is God, what would you tell me if I was asking you a story? If I was a reporter and I was saying, tell me what happened because all of a sudden, these first three chapters, it seems like you kind of were like placating because you had to, or you were just like, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't really want to go there. I'm just going to say some nice things so I don't get burned, right? And so, but now all of a sudden your heart's changed. What has happened? You're talking about this greatness of this God who you were vehemently against. What, what's taken place? Would you say things like, man, God's been good to me because he's taken all my hardships away from my life. When I became, when I became a God follower, he just... Everything was like, man, I didn't, I just woke up in the morning, my bank account was totally full. It was amazing, you know? I woke up and it was like, it was like Cinderella or Snow White, like little birds just started landing on my shoulder and, you know, Bob Marley started playing, everything's going to be all right, you know? It was, would that be your story? Well, it's not Nebuchadnezzar's story. It's not at all. And I think, friends, Nebuchadnezzar's story has something to tell us about how we need to see God and how we need to understand God. So, you guys ready to go on a journey with me? You guys ready to hear Nebuchadnezzar's story? This is the first thing that I think Nebuchadnezzar wants us to know when he declares about the greatness of God. The first thing is, he wants us to listen to God's warnings. Listen to God's warnings. Now, for time's sake, we don't, we don't have time to read uh, verses 4 through 27. So let me try to uh, just paraphrase, summarize it for you. So good old King Nebuchadnezzar, he's got another dream. I mean, this guy is a dreamer, you know? And little Aerosmith action? Yeah, okay, dream on. And he just, he's always having these dreams, but you see, it's, it seems like God is giving him these dreams, and in God's grace, and he always brings them to a conclusion. But here again, Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream. And what it says here in the first verse is, Nebuchadnezzar is just chilling. 
he is thinking to himself, man, I've got it good. This is amazing. I'm on top of the world. If you know anything about this time in Babylon, it, there was a thing called the Hanging Gardens. And it was one of the wonders of the world. And we, if we were to even see it today, we'd go, holy cow, this is amazing. It was just super high buildings with all these beautiful lush gardens drenched from them. And it just it would, you would have, it would have blown your architectural mind. And, and so he's got power and he's ruling the whole world. Anything he says, anything he wants, anything he does, it's, it's viewed as amazing and he can do no wrong. And he's out on his balcony and he's just like enjoying it. And he's thinking, I got it pretty good. And in the midst of his hubris, in the midst of him just enjoying his lot in life, God gives him a dream. And in this dream, he sees a picture of a big tall tree, and there's branches, and the tree is really tall, and all of a sudden, uh, an angel, so to speak, comes down from heaven and chops off this tree, chops off its branches, chops off the top of it, and all that's left on this tree is just a stump in the ground. And now the, the angel said, we'll leave everything except for the, or we'll take everything except for this stump. And when this, this stump can't move, and the stump's going to be bound to the earth. And the person, and it was representing a person, and this person being the stump is not only going to be transformed from a tree, but it's going to, this person's going to become like a beast. It's going to become like an animal. And it's get down on all fours. And it's going to start eating grass. And it's going to have claws like a long-taloned eagle. And his hair will be long. And it'll just be totally dehumanized. And so we, King Nebuchadnezzar gets this dream, and what does he do? Who does he call on? Daniel. Why? Because Daniel's got a pretty good track record, doesn't he? So Daniel comes in and says, listen, O king, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is about you. This is about you. And it's because of your pride and because of your arrogance that God is going to bring you low. And Nebuchadnezzar, we see here in the first four verses, or first three verses, he's talking about the greatness of God. I think most of us here this morning, if we were going to tell the story of how God's been great to us, may not include how we might have been chopped down like a stump and lost our sanity and be caused to eat grass and our nails grow all long and our hair and everyone would go, what in the heck, this person's insane. We may not include that in the story of God's greatness. But as we'll see here later, we're going to see how it is the greatness of God that causes us to be transformed. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to warn us here this morning, friends. He's saying, God is great, and God is good, but heed his warnings. Heed his warnings. Why? Because God is grumpy? Because God is a giant ogre in the sky looking down on earth for those he can squash and smush? And punish? No. Because living a holy life is serious to God. It matters. And I want to throw the question out to you here this morning. You may know the truths of who God is. You may have grown up with knowing these truths of who God is. You may be right now living in the truths of who God is. But the thing is, we know we still wrestle with a sinful flesh and a sinful mind, don't we? We do, right? And so I would say to you this morning, are you heeding the warnings of God? Not like, hey, you better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. Not that kind of stuff. But because God is holy and he loves you and he wants his people to be holy and reflect who he is, 
He's giving you, I think, through me even this morning. The fact that you're sitting here, you're saying, well, I'm, you know, I don't know, God just, God's never really spoken to me. No, the fact that you're sitting here this morning is the fact that God wants to warn you. He wants to say, hey, listen, if you're living a life of pride and arrogance, if there's areas of your life that are unsurrendered to me, I want to warn you, that's not going to be good. That's going to work out well for you. It's not going to end up the way you think it is. Heed the warnings of the Lord. So we see Nebuchadnezzar. That's his first thing. He tells us, hey guys, remember, watch out. This is what uh, Luke 14.11 says. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's our job to do? To humble ourselves, isn't it? If we don't humble ourselves, who will? God. Anybody want to be humbled by God? I sure do not. I'd rather just humble myself. So that what? God can what? Exalt me. We get it the other way around. We think, I've got to exalt myself. I've got to exalt myself because God's going to forget. No, humble yourself and trust that God will do the rest. And this is what we see Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar, verse 27. He says, therefore, king, I'm going to tell you the story. He says, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing, uh, by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the press that there may be perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. But if you know the story, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do it. So, Nebuchadnezzar's number one rule for the greatness of God is listen to his warnings. Number two, you guys ready to go? Next point? All right. We, I think Nebuchadnezzar would want us to see that pride leads to ruin. If you want to keep reading with me here, Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. Where am I in my Bible? 33. This is what it says. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar, just as Daniel had said. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. So this dream comes. He's freaked out. Daniel warns him, and there's a year Man, imagine the grace of God. I'm going to warn you, don't do this. Hey, repent, repent. And a year later, a year later, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, look at this, is, this not this, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Come on. I just lost, okay. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Crazy. It's like Book of Narnia stuff here, isn't it? It's like Lord of the Rings almost. I mean, gosh, who, who would imagine Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar is writing this story. And he starts off by telling how great God is. 
And he warns us, but I think the other part is he's trying to say, listen to me, friends. Listen to me, readers. 2,000 years, Southland's chain of Nebuchadnezzar could stand right here somehow. I don't know how that could happen, but if he could, he'd come back and say, not only do you need to heed the warnings that when God speaks, he means it, but listen, pride leads to ruin. It leads to destruction. Now, here's the problem that we have. The world tells us that pride is a virtue, doesn't it? It tells us, be proud. Be proud of your achievements. Brag about those things. Like, well, how else will anybody know how amazing you are? Unless you brag about it. And you know that you brag about it. You ever, like, I do this sometimes. I'll just admit it. Like, sometimes I think I've done something, and I think I'm quite amazing about what I've done. And, and I, I, don't, I don't, like, overtly make it obvious that I try to let people know how amazing I am. But what I'll do is I'll listen for a conversation. And what I'll do is in that conversation, I'll try to, like, throw a little detail about something I did. And how I'm hoping they come to a conclusion that the amazingness about the situation happened because of the little detail that I happened to do, which fixed it. Why do I do that? Because I'm insecure. <laughs> I do that because I want people to think I'm amazing, because I think I'm amazing, right? And what Nebuchadnezzar is saying, we can look around at the world, we can look around at our situation, and I know not everyone feels proud about themselves. I get it. And, or about their circumstances. But some of us here think, man, I'm doing pretty darn good. If you were to, like, if I had to retire today, I probably could. I don't need to, because, hey, I'm pretty awesome. I, I, I did all the good stuff I was supposed to do financially. People should come talk to me about 401k. Because I know what's up. I mean, I'm sitting on top of my balcony. I got a boat. I got some jet skis. I got some toys. They sit there all the time. I'm living the American dream. Or maybe you're thinking about your relationships. I don't have one broken relationship because I'm the king of relationships. I know how to fix every relationship. People should come talk to me about relationships. My marriage is rocking. And we do have a pretty good marriage, don't we? <laughs> By God's grace. In spite of me. <laughs> but we can sit and look at our achievements and think, oh my gosh. And all that does, it's Tower of Babel living. If you notice, this is Babylon. And it's where the Tower of Babel was built. And if you know the story of the Tower of Babel, a bunch of people got together and said, you're amazing. And then the other guy goes, no, you're amazing. And then they went, no, we're amazing. We don't need God. We don't need God. You know what we should do, Tim? You know, you, you, you're, you got the body, I got the brains, right? No, actually, let's switch that around. Okay. But you and I should get together. We should build something that will rival even what God could do. And I think we could do it. How insane is that? And this kind of thinking leads us to ruin because we know God comes down and says with a word to the Tower of Babel, uh-uh, not in my house, not today, people. Not, that's not going to happen here. I'm just going to go poof. And then all of a sudden, people aren't going to be able to understand each other. And they're going to start fighting with each other. And they're going to create their own nations. And when they thought they were so unified and so amazing, they're going to find out how dependent they are on me. And King Nebuchadnezzar does the exact, God does the exact same thing with him. He says, all right, you think you're the man? You think you built all this? 
you don't remember how I said in Daniel chapter 1 about through God's sovereignty and his providence that I allowed you to take control over Jerusalem and bring these people into exile? You thought it was about how great you are and what a great leader you are? Let me just show you your dependence on me. I'm going to make you become like the thing that you eat. I'm going to make you become like the thing that that you have total control over, and I'm going to make you be subject just like that, and I'm going to humiliate the mess out of you. See, what pride does is it builds a false foundation. It lies with us. This foundation you built is everlasting. This impenetrable. We, we, We spent 10 years in Houston, and people would build these homes right on the water. And you think, what are you doing? And he's just, well, nothing can break this concrete. It's concrete for the love of God. It's impenetrable. Hurricane Ike comes through, beautiful houses. What happened? Ruin. Why? Because people in their hubris thought, this is amazing. I could build it. It will withstand Hurricane 5. Gone in an instant. And see, when we built our lives on pride, the foundation of it just crumbles. It lies to us and says, this is impenetrable. You're so amazing. Nothing can get through. Nebuchadnezzar wants to tell us this morning, guys, don't build your life on pride. It's a false foundation. It's only going to let you go. Pride is, we have to understand, friends, that pride is sin. And the root of all sin is really pride. Now, some of you might be on the other side thinking, I'm not prideful. I actually, I try to like, diminish myself. I think less of myself. I think I'm a worm. I struggle with pride. I want to say, "Mm -mm. Mm -mm. that's pride. (laughs) Why? Because it's self-centered. It's about me. 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 I'm so terrible. Get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I Maybe I don't wrestle with the, the high pride. Maybe I don't wrestle with the low pride. Then you're prideful, okay? So you can't win. You're prideful. But sin, pride is sin, and it's the root of, of, of sin. And, and so it's also a false foundation. So Nebuchadnezzar's trying to help us understand that. So number three, though, let's keep moving on for sake of time. There's a beautiful remedy here for us, and that is that humility leads to sanity. Humility, humility leads to sanity. And if you see this pride, it almost like, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar went crazy, right? If, if, if I today am here, and then by next week, you, you hear a story that Kelly's been in his backyard, and he can't even converse with people, and he's eating grass, and he's barking at the moon, and he's doing all this weird stuff, you would think I'd lost my mind, Right? And so Nebuchadnezzar finds himself in the same way. And because of pride, he is driven to insanity. But in a moment of humility that God affords him this grace, it leads to sanity. Let's look at that in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 through 35. He'll continue the story and he says, At the end of the days, of the time that he was forced to be like a beast, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. 
Isn't that beautiful? For this is, he goes into like a song. He goes into a poem. He, he starts to worship God. And he says, for his dominion is, ever, is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? None can question God because God is in complete control. What a contrast from standing on his balconies, looking at his, his beautiful gardens, looking at his armies and counting all his men and looking, thinking of all the nations and the languages and all the people that he has controlled of and said, I have built this and I have built this for my glory and my splendor because I'm so amazing. Boom, down on the earth he goes. God gives him grace. God gives him grace to come out of his, his insanity. And in his moment of levity, is that the word? What's the word when you're, you're coherent? And in his moment of like reason, he doesn't go, I can't believe God made me come, become like a beast. What a mean, grumpy, arrogant God. He says, no. I lifted my eyes to heaven and sanity returned to me. And he praises God. He praises God and he says, God, you're amazing. You're in control of all things. God, you're the one who brings down. You're the one who builds up. You're the one who's in complete control. Now I see it. I have no power. I'm just this little weak human being. I am the creation and you are the creator. And so therefore I will worship. And friends, let me warn you this morning. That pride leads to ruin. And if you find yourself in a a particular area of pride where you are standing strong thinking you're amazing or you're standing over here thinking you're a worthless worm, it's because you're self-centered. Can I, as your pastor this morning, say, be humble. Be humble. Sit down. Okay, never mind. Some of you don't get the reference. All right. That's, That's all right. It's not a good song. Don't listen to that song. Verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar... Oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. When you declare the truth of who God is, it leads you to declare the truth of who you are in comparison to who God is. Let me say that again. When you declare the truth of who God is, it leads you to declare the truth of who you are in comparison to God. So something we do when we pray on Sunday mornings or when we pray just in general as a church we often, most of the time, start with, who is God? Because why? Our hearts forget, or we lean toward, I'm amazing, I don't need God, or I'm a worm, God would never love me. And so when we come back to the truth of who God is, we start to see ourselves rightly for who we are. So if we start to think, I'm amazing, Well, let me declare actually how amazing God is. God, you created the universe, not me. Right? I mean, you remember when God speaks to Job and Job's whining? This is how I know when you think you're a worm, that's pride. Because Job's whining. He's whining. He's like, me, me, me. And then God tells Job, hey, by the way, um, were you there when uh, the heavens were created? Job's like, no, you know. Oh, and then he gets real real with him. Uh, were you there when the mountain, mountain goat gave birth? Like, what? No, because it was like miles away on some unseen mountain. And God's like, 
by the way, I was there. Who are you, Job? It's not all about you. And so when we start to declare these truths of who God is, it gives us in this right-minded understanding of I'm actually not as great as I thought I was. God's great. Or if I'm a worm, then I think, actually, when I thought that God wouldn't like me because I'm a worm, the truth is that he loves me even in spite of me acting this way. And so it brings my heart into alignment. It brings my heart from this area of pride and arrogance or pride of despair, and it aligns me with the truth of who God is. And so that is true humility, friends is praying, declaring, worshiping, living our lives in the truth of who God is. Those who know their God will stand firm and take action. Why? Because they've humbled their hearts. Because they know who God is. Next point. You guys doing all right? Here's, here's where we're going to get to this truth of like who is God. This is what I love. I love this part. I love this part, this guy's. Okay. You ready? God is able. Yes, God is able. Now, why is this part of the picture here this morning? Uh, verse 37, this is where I was about to get ahead of myself. But Nebuchadnezzar says this at the end. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. Now look at this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I read that this week going, that doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. It should say, those who walk in pride, God will humble. Right? I mean, that's the conclusion we got to come to this morning. God's going to get them. God's going to get the prideful. He's going to humble the prideful. But I love this word that it says he's able. Why is that so profound for us, friends? Because the disease, I think Nebuchadnezzar saw pride as a disease. Can, can you heal yourself of any disease, babe? And what about you, Angie? Do you have any, like, power inside you that can believe it? There can be miracles if you believe, right? I mean, that's what, that's what DreamWorks would tell us. Just believe it. It's going to make... But is there any power in you, Angie? How about you, Jake? Jake, if you've if you got a problem in your stomach, can you heal that with, like, mm, you know, just going to believe it? Who is able to do that? Only God. And see, friends, pride is sin. Can you conquer your sin in your own power? No. If you could, we'd be called religion. Religion tells you, you can do this if you just believe. You can do this, guys. There's a power within you. It's going to like, you're going to find it. This is why Nebuchadnezzar starts with verses 1 through 3 and doesn't talk about the greatness of God, giving him this all of a sudden self-realization that he's amazing. He has this self-realization. He's not amazing, and God is. And he says at the end here, only God is able to humble the arrogant and the prideful. That's you and me, and God is able to set us free from the sin of pride. So if you're wrestling this morning thinking you are somehow God's gift to planet Earth, or if you're on the other side of pride thinking somehow that you were created for just to be a, a worm and despair and woe is me kind of living, 
God is able to meet you in both of those circumstances and heal you completely. Why? Because God is great. God is able. I hope you guys are getting this. We can have a, a, a view of God as that he's just, he's just kind of doing his thing because he has to do his thing. Or we can view God as intimately involved in all our lives and view him as the only one who's able to do what we need. I want to shift, help us shift our thinking to see that through a gospel lens, God is the one who sets us free. Not us, not us, not us, not us. And the, the thing is, you're going to try to go out of this room today, myself included. I had to tell myself, Kelly, did you hear what you told people Sunday? And I'm going to go, I forgot, remind me again. I'm going to go crazy. And I'm going to speak to myself. And I'm going to remind myself, you told everybody that you aren't the one who is in control. You told everyone that God's the one who's able. And if we don't, at this morning, settle this, we'll go out of those doors and a moment will hit us and we think, I am able to do this. And we have to know that God is the one who's able. Now, here's, here's how it works. Um, look, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. This is what we'll end with. How do we know God's able? How do we know God's able? It says this, And being found in human form, He humbled Himself. Who's He? Huh? It's Jesus. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What did Jesus do in this verse? He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself. Why would Jesus need to humble Himself? He doesn't need to humble Himself. Well, then why would Paul tell the Philippians that Jesus humbled himself? See, what Jesus did is what Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do. What Jesus did is what Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do for you and me. What Jesus did is what you and I couldn't do. And then when Nebuchadnezzar said, God is able, he's speaking, he's prophesying. He's saying, Southland Chino, to you this morning, let me tell you the story of God's greatness. It's not because he gave me everything I wanted. It's the fact that he was the one who humbled himself to the point of death and death on a cross. And so we say, Lord, thank you that you're able, but not just that you're not, not just able, but that you did it. That you did it. And so you and I can stand firm this morning knowing that we have a power, a gift, or whatever you want to call it, that has been given to us freely because Christ, Philippians, what he did is he humbled himself when he didn't have to humble himself because he was the one. He was perfect. And he was, he was the one who had all power. With a word he spoke and things happened. He's the one who holds it all together. But yet, somehow... In his love and his grace for you and me, he humbled himself. And that resulted in his death. And not just like, oh, he got sick and he died. And it's not just like he kind of died of old age. No, what he did is he died a death on the cross that was reserved for the most humiliating ways to die. And he did it so that you and I this morning could say, yes, we wrestle with pride. Yes, it is impossible to overcome it in our own strength. Is able. Everybody turn around and look at that cross back on the wall. 
the ultimate symbol of humility done for you and me. What is Daniel wanting to tell us? What is Daniel, what's the story of Daniel? That you're amazing, that you're great, that you have power within you to stand up against all the nonsense of our culture? No, it's that God is bigger. God is in control. God is sovereign. God is providential. God is able and God has done it. That's our story, friends. That's why we're going to go right now to the tables of communion. Will you stand with me this morning?